He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Delray Beach, Florida, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Well, this was supposed to be Southwest Recap Week at Oaklawn Park after we had two of our Kentucky Derby preps in the books. But guess what? No Southwest. We won't have a Southwest Stakes this weekend. But I know what we got. We got Ron Flatter in, in Las Vegas. And Ron, this weather is wrecking havoc across the country. And we must, we got to, first of all, wish everybody in Texas, all our friends in Texas, uh, you know, best wishes and stay warm. Yeah, and, and Arkansas, while we're thinking of the neighboring state where Oaklawn Park is, I don't know what you're talking about with the weather. It was like 65, 66, 67 here in Las Vegas today. We got a little breeze. Is there weather somewhere? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Lexington is under ice and snow, and yeah. uh, you know the whole uh, east Midwest area is getting is getting really. I'll tell you what a lot of places have. A lot of places have have electricity and heat and warmth for people. Um, I know in Lexington they had some power outages over in Richmond, Kentucky, and areas like that for like about a you know a few hours, but. In Texas, holy moly. Yeah. I mean, people, I mean, I, I, I've heard some horror stories about people um, you know, dying because they're in their cars with the carbon monoxide trying yep. to stay warm. Um, I mean, it's horrible, and uh, we just want to wish everybody, we, hopefully, they can stay warm. Yeah, we do, and I lived there for three years, and I know what it's like when you deal with an ice storm there where you're not used to it. Never mind the not driving, and you don't want to go out where people don't know how to drive in it. That's one thing, and you shouldn't if you can avoid it. Pretend like the you know coronavirus is still going. Stay home. But the other side of that is when you get ice on the wires and the lines and they get downed and you lose power. And if your power leads to your heat and all of that, you're not used to this. And I get it. And what's going to happen on the back end of this is the flooding that's going to happen when all of this stuff melts. So it, you get a double whammy. And uh, yeah, I feel for anyone who's down there. And so uh, if you took offense at my being flip about the weather, I get it. I lived in it in New York. I lived in it in Texas. I lived in it in Connecticut. So I get it. And so I, I wish you well. And I will say this, that there is something good on the other side of all this. And we'll touch wood and have a few prayers for you too. Absolutely. And by the way, you know what also is not a nice, a golden rail. Yeah, you know, this is something that came up on the Zoom call that you had on Tuesday. And I'm writing about it by the time you hear this, you might have already read it at Horse Racing Nation about the gold rail at Aqueduct Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. If you look at trip notes, comments, footnotes, what have you, inside trips, you had all sorts of horses wearing a number one saddle cloth winning. And so gold rail and... Andy Serling said Gold Rail, and David Aragona from Timeform, who writes the morning line for Aqueduct, said Gold Rail. And so, Gold Rail, uh, right, Bruno? No, uh, I don't think so. I think we went over it uh, pretty good. On, you know, uh, we went over it pretty good, and we, you know, we're going to go over it on the on this podcast about it, and people are going to get to hear my view. But when you have horses drifting off four or five off the rail down the stretch, they're not on the rail. <laughs> they're not. 
and and you know when they're racing you know maybe you know two paths off the inside uh, no it's no it's not it, it, there's a different explanation for it and uh, we're going to get into that there you go i was just going to say you could push the button and make it happen let's watch let's these from the gate second. and let's see yes, if they are on the rail who's the winner in this race the four look at the four keep try to keep the three from getting to the rail three's already on the rail Watch the four and what he tries to do. He tried to intimidate him to get off the rail. He tried to pin him down inside. Probably they didn't know the rail was good right now. Ron, who wins this race? The four? Four wins. Okay, he was too wide down the backside, and he's too off the rail on the front, on, on, on the, in the stretch. The three horse that was down on the inside stops and finishes last, I think. So is this a rail bias off of this? No. The two horse, the two horse was on the outside of the three, and the three stopped. So there goes that idea on that. Let's go on to the second race. So to recap it, in the first race on Saturday at Aqueduct, the horse that won was two off the rail. The horse that was on the rail, the three stopped and faded back. The two horse was never down on the rail until very late. I mean, the winner was never was down on the rail until very, very late. He drifted in. So, no, he was not down inside. It's not, to me, it's not like an inside bias in that first race. Let's see what happens here. They're, they're two off the inside. Looks like Gulfstream where you said they uh, ride off the rail to bait you to go to the rail. Right. But the one is still sitting. Look how far he's off the inside. Now the two comes up on the inside. The one stops. The three stopped. The two was on the inside pretty much most of the way. How far is he off the inside? Three. Two, two, two pass. He goes down on the rail now because the one never dropped down. And he's at a loose rein. He's out of horse. He's trying to keep him going. I agree. It looks like he was, it was a function more of saving ground when he saw, he saw the one tire. He yeah, moved he right along the inside. Had no horse. The right. one had no horse. He just came up. He knew that the one was going to yeah. drift. He had no horse. And, and so what, now you what have the better... three that was on the lead, the four was on the lead on his outside, and they're all out, and they were never close to the rail. The winner came from off the pace and won easily. Best okay. horse is confidently ridden. Let's go to the next race. It's like Groundhog Day. Here we go again. Here we have horses that are well three to two to three to four lanes off the inside. And the three horse is trying to get off the inside. And he did. What, 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 what's amazing to me is he took, if this inside was so good, he made a plan to get off the inside when he was in the clear which makes the seven, gets the absolute dream trip and comes down to, right down on the rail. Once again, he's about a length off the rail or about a half a path off the rail. Where's the three now? Nowhere. Got the easiest of leads, no pressure. People took back and allowed him to get that easy lead, and then he only ran the last quarter. So to recap this race... The one horse that could have gone to the inside and gone to the lead was the three. 
He decided to take back and come off the rail. The seven inherited the lead, dropped down inside, and was gone because nobody put any pressure on him. Next race, the fourth. Now, the two-horse drifted in at the start. The one broke slow. Here again, just looking at the rider's body language, nobody wants to go down inside. Nobody wants to get caught down inside and get taken off. Look at the guy on the five. The five could have gone in there, and he decides to grab. Look how much he's grabbing on the, on the, on the one with the yellow cap right behind the, the, the green guy. None of them are in any hurry. None of them. Look at the guy on the five strangling this horse when he had a chance to move up inside and probably get an advantage. Still got nowhere to run. So now he's going to go and try to bowl himself five wide, three wide. Who's the winner here, Ron? Five. The five, the five right? Five wins. The two horse was on the rail and he's nowhere. Four horse was too wide and can't finish. Go to the fifth race. There's no rail bias here. There's no speed bias here. This is all jockey-made trips. One, everybody is not in a hurry. The one looks like he's got a lot of run. This has got to be the uh, Joy Division. Joy, I think that's the name's horse. Yankee Division. Yankee Division. Yeah. I mean, here he is. He's just dragging the rider. He's getting an easy lead. Nobody at all has any kind of course to keep up with him. Nobody. You, I don't care what track you're on. This horse wins nine out of ten times. No pressure whatsoever. And he's about two off the path. Now he's down on the rail. Again, you got a horse here that absolutely got the perfect trip in race five. Perfect trip. Nobody put any pressure to him, and he got the job done. How many horses have we seen on the rail that have stopped like they got shot? The guy on the one can't control his horse. Here's another, here's another horse that completely controls from the inside. He completely controls the race. He's the speed of the race. And he only asses him at the quarter pole, even inside the quarter pole. Here's another example of nobody putting anybody under any pressure before they even get on the turn. We could go through this all night long and look at all the races for all the days. Who wins this race, Ron? The one. He's all out. And if there was a rail bias, the two was on the rail, not the one. So here you go again. When the horse was on, the only time he was on the rail was all the way up to the quarter pole. And he got a good easy quarter even uh, before the, the nine came down and, and got him. The inside horse broke slow on the two. Now the six is off the rail. In the perfect trip, he angles out. The five was on the rail. He's not going to win, right? Third. Again, we have a horse that sits behind them, angles out three wide, finishes in the middle of the track, and the horse that runs second ends up being four wide. There was take, no bias. All right, let me take, take me to the second race Monday. This was the poster child, supposedly. 
Well, we got to look at all the races. Oh, you're going to do? Okay. All right. You got to do all the races to be able to tell you that. But let's go back there and take a look at Monday. Let, let's get something clear. There was no bias on Saturday, was it? <laughs> this is Monday's second race. Look at the rider on the one. He's trying to get that horse up in there. Because if you know he doesn't get in there, he's going to end up on into the rail. So he has to get him up in there. The horse is, isn't responding. Here you have it again. Here you have the five horses absolutely being able to do what he wants to do up front. Go back and watch it again down the backside. He gets to move over without any pressure. The two horses lugging out, pushing the other horses out. The closest horse is the seven, and he's two horses away from him. There is no pressure on the five. Zero. The seven's already under a drive. The four's under a drive. The two lugs out. He was lugging out earlier. This is about pressure. This is not a bias. And New York's got some bad horses. So, Ron, tell me, tell me again why this horse is a poster child. Came from the, uh, what was it, the four hole or the five hole? Came over and, and got the but got, front end. But the whole thing that people miss. 126 and three. It, the whole thing people miss is the undue pressure early. Here's the great example. Here's the 1A. How does he get over all the way to down on the inside? And the horse, the three horse, decides to get off the rail. Look at the hold on the, on the six. Look at a hold on the outside horse. Nobody has got any purpose of putting their horses out there and doing Pat Valenzuela and get them out on the lead. They're all very happy to do this. The last couple of years, Bruno, it's been trending that that's how those New York, that New York colony rides. They don't get up and, and make a race of it early. And it's really frustrating when you got three. Anyway, it's, it's a common practice, even when the regular big boys are around, too. And these guys are just learned from them. Look at the six. Look at the hold on the six. Look at the 1A. The 1A got his way down on the inside. If the rail was good, six wins, right? If the six didn't win from there, he's a bad horse. 1A wins. Yeah. But look at him drift out. Is he riding on the rail? Hmm. Is he riding on the rail? Is this a rail bias? <laughs> Nine wide. <laughs> They're full of shit in New York when they talk about rail biases. They just are. When they start talking to you, in New York, when you see Saratoga and you hear them talking about rail biases, go back and watch the head-ons. And you'll look at them and say, these guys absolutely know enough. They know nothing of what they're talking about. Because in all of those races, in all of those races, those horses were not on the inside. The 1A in that race drew, went all the way up to the 8th path. Oh, he won with a golden rail. What golden rail is in the eighth path? I, I think, you know, Kevin, you mentioned about the jockeys. It gets, my head spins around when I hear these talk about biases. There was nothing that happened on those videos to say that the horses won because of the track. They were won because horses were on the lead and given an easy lead, no pressure, the horse drifts out to the middle of the track and wins. You know why? These are bad horses. They're bad horses. They're not classy horses. But yet in New York, they up 
the, the speed figures. So all of a sudden you get a horse that's running 88s and 90s and 92s, really should be running 82s or 78s. It happens at Saratoga all the time. Chancelot was a great example. So was Imperial Hint. So when you do this on your own and you go and look at the head-ons, it gives you a different perspective. It gives you a perspective of understanding that most people that tell you something don't know what they are talking about. If anybody said the 1A in that race took the golden rail, I have no words. Brad Free said something to me a long time ago. He looked at me one day. He says, Bruno, this game is all about bullshit. He is, was right. I kind of chastised him for it. But he's right. I should apologize to him. Actually, I did one day. I called him up and I, I, after I've been here east a few years, I say, I want to apologize to you about something. He goes, why? I said, a long time ago, you told me the game was bullshit. It was about bullshit. It was all about bullshit. And I basically kind of read you the riot act that it wasn't. You were right. I was wrong. I don't want to add to the bullshit. I don't want to add to the bull that, 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 that gets fed to people. But Ron, to talk about the rail, I want to hear it from you. What do you think now? Uh, not so much. And I'm going to quote you tomorrow. No, you can say it. Bruno oh, thinks you yeah. guys bullshit. Cool you can tell them. You can say, hey, I'm just delivering the message. Hell, they don't like me anyway. Who cares? <laughs> I'll make it hate me a little bit more. <laughs> no skin off my back, you know? And I think Andy Byer, uh, not Andy Byer, but Andy uh, Serling was correct in not wanting to dive into it. Well, he did dive into it. And if you go back and look at his Dear Diary entries in um – I'm trying to remember the column he puts up every night after races on Naira.com. And he said, Ray, he said it. I'll, in fact, I could, I'll even quote you the lines that he said in each particular case. Uh, he On Saturday, uh, in his Track Trends column, this I'm going to quote him now. The rail was a distinct advantage, not just for front runners. And spending at least a significant part of the race inside was a virtual necessity for success. Sunday, the rail was once again an extreme advantage. Strong bias. Monday, the rail continues to be a significant advantage. How did he explain the third race to 1A? I'm just telling you, that's, that's the extent he wrote. Now, there were eight out of nine, pardon me, on Monday. Monday was eight races. Six of the eight races that day uh, in the Equibase comments and this is where you're saying go watch don't just read six of the eight winners were said to have taken an inside trip six of the nine sunday eight of the nine saturday so if you are inside of two horses but you are four off the inside you got an inside trip boy that's splitting that's not even close to splitting hairs Bruno, if you look at the races, and I think race five on, there was like a $20 horse I caught the late pick four at Aqueduct. The two of the runners that were there, I think it was a uh, it was a Todd Pletcher first-time starter and another horse that were well bet. And the, I think the horse went off at 12 to 1. 
exactly what you what you were showing on the replay. The, the the favored horses right along the inside, they drifted out. The one went along the rail. He, he came up the rail with a nice run and beat him. In the, the next sequence, in the, I think it was race six, same situation. Horse on the lead, not good, tired, lugged out. And you can see it on all on all the head-ons. You you look at it. They just the riders were smart. They saved ground and they shot up along the inside of the horse as they're lugging out. That's no, all it was. I, I, it, it's like if a car, if there's a car in front of you and it's blowing a tire and it's going to yeah. try to go off to the right side of the road, are you going to go try around go around the right side of the road? No. What you're going to do is you're going to go down on the side. You know, just go inside of them. You know, and also. You can't call it a bias if there's other horses on the inside that are lugging out and stopping. I, if there's a bias, that means there's a bias for every horse that's on that rail. I think we debunked that in the first two races. So if there's a bias, I, those guys would run hooked, right? They would be hooked and they would still hold on along yes. the inside, right? Yeah. Even as bad as they like ran on the head on. On the inside. Santa Anita used to be like that one time. You come up on the inside and you win. The horse that came second came up on the inside, and the third place finisher came up on the inside. But this is not the case. But because I'll tell you when people don't learn and why people make because they just want to use what somebody else says and they repeat it, or they watch the pan and never once have looked at one head on. How many of you, before we started doing this, ever looked at a head on? I never did. Now, only until you started showing it. I, I it, completely changed my handicapping approach. You could totally tell it when the horse is you. awesome. Yeah. It shows you, you know, first of all, down the backside, you could see the couple of those horses that went wire to wire on the inside. You had other horses that had an opportunity to go inside. They were fighting to get off the inside, which I didn't understand at all. It, it And the horse on the lead gets to sit there and, and nobody's pressing them. To me, it's more, you know, to me, it's more about a horse undue pressure in the first quarter of a mile than where he is on the track. Now, also, that track in New York has got to be this deep. I don't know why they make it that deep. So what happens, it's harder to, to rally in the stretch because you're basically, you, you're running a merry-go-round track. When it's loose and deep, Horses can't get a hold of it. It's like you riding on the sandy beach of the air, on the on the drier sand on the beach that's like this deep. You can't never get your footing, and that's why they get slow times. Some speed horses do well on that because speed horses gets out. They're athletic enough. They get out there, and then everybody just threads water. How much of that is because they're maintaining Belmont more because of the workouts uh, schedule there than they are at Aqueduct where they're just there for racing? No, no, no. It's all the PETA thing. Yeah, it's just a completely different winter surface. It's heavy like that. When it's heavier like that, it's just like off turf, heavy turf. Speed does really, really well. Nobody gets a hold of it. The speed just goes right over the top. We were talking about the we were talking about track superintendent tendon speak in comparison to what we understand they'll say well the track is really dry and it's slow poor handicappers hear that and say oh closers no speed why 
It's closers. It's tiring. What's well, tiring for everybody? If they can't get a hold of it, closers need to be at a firm ground to be able to get a hold of it and push off to finish. Speed goes out there and just runs on it and just struggles their way to the wire. Nobody can make up any ground because anybody can push off. So a lot of the times, some of what you think is common sense to you, it's the opposite. Like, for example, let's run a pop quiz. Who wins when there's a tailwind in the stretch? Tailwind, closers. Who else says closers? I say closers. Front runners. Speed. Speed. Front okay. runners. Okay. Well, wait a minute. What if you got a tailwind to stretch? What does that mean is going on the back stretch? Headwind. What happens in the headwind? You got speed in there going head first into the headwind. Oh. Who's going to benefit? Horses that can draft behind them. Because turning for home, they get pushed by the wind. So what happens is that you'll get slower fraction up front, but they're really expanding more energy. When I tell you to stop looking at fractions, <laughs> to make up your mind on the screen, that's one reason. Because if you've got a headwind, you're going to go 23 and 1. Well, God, they're going slow. And you're watching them with your eye, and you're going, they look like they're going faster than 23 and 1. And they are. And what happens in the stretch? Well, look at they finished in 23 and change. They flew late. Yeah, with the with the wind at their back. Well, my I can't believe my horse stopped. Well, I get to see that at Paul Meadows a lot. At Paul Meadows, the track is 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 um east to west. So the east side of it is is gets that wind coming in from the ocean. You get that wind coming from the ocean, that means when horses break from the five eighths pole, they get basically lifted up off the ground and 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 for the first quarter of a mile, they'll go 21 and one. They're still doing it. But in the stretch, they turn for home, they go 33 and three. Wesley will do that. And all of a sudden they go 27 the last quarter because they're heading right into a wall of wind. I'm not looking at the splits anymore, Bruno. I'm enjoying seeing. Yeah, I did. I did. Did you all notice that? Did you, when you're watching races this weekend, did y'all just not look at them? <laughs> I, I, I was bad. I was bad. It took me about four, three, four races to, to train my, and still I got a tendency to do that, but you see more of the race. Well, just, just, just keep doing it, Kevin, yeah. keep yeah. doing it because the more you do it, the more you're going to recognize how horses move. Okay. And, and what I love to be able to do is get races that don't have any splits up there. I can tell you, I can call that split. I have sat there at the track with us, either I, and I'll tell you, I've ha I had to do this because I left my watch at home, right? So, and I had one on my phone, but it's really hard to deal with it. So, well, you know what I do is I do everything. If I can catch one horse at a time, I can come within one fifth of a second or two fifths of a second of it. Because you learn to have a certain timing of it. And you look at it and say, okay, I had 23 and two. Okay, he looks like he's going about a 12, maybe a little quicker. I'm going to say 35-1. And then turning for home, you, you know, I, I think about it, the eighth ball kind of looked like about a 12 and two, 12 and three. I'm cheating a little bit because I know the tendencies of the track. So, okay, he's going about 48. 
48. He stopped in the lane. He went about 13 and three, go one on one and three. I look at the time on the form, you know, I mean, in the, uh, on the tab later on that afternoon, he went one on one and one. So you can get a sense for that by watching them, but you've got to do it over and over and over again. And you've got to know your track. You've got to know your track and you've got to know how that track plays. Like for example, at fairgrounds, it's, there is no banking. So those turns are much harder to negotiate for a horse. So instead of going 12 flat, they'll go 12-3. What does that mean? If you go 12, 12-3, 12, 12-2, 12, that's 24-3. and three. And Then they go another 12-2 down the backside, that's, that's a 48-4. and four. You go to Santa Anita, where they have a 150-foot run-up for the mile, you get a 22-4, and four, a 45-4, and four, a 57-4, and four, a 109-10 and, and change for the, for the three-quarters for the mile because the way that track is built. So at Gulfstream, it's the same thing. At Gulfstream, they got a quick run into the first turn for the mile and 16th race. But they always go around 23 and change. And then what happens? Riders hanker down. They anchor down and they back up. And they back up and they go 25 that second quarter and allows everybody else to jam up on their heels. That's the new way that riders ride speed. They brake on top and jam on the brakes because they want everybody to run up on their heels. Riders are not the same that they were 20 years ago. I think riders are not as good as they were 20 years ago. So you have more of a, of a rider playing that kind of level. Watch, the, watch the, the races at fairgrounds and watch Mitchell Merle is one to watch. I think sometimes he makes the most bonehead, typical mistakes. He'll break on top, he'll go to the lead, and he'll hammer down. He'll get to the inside and he'll be sitting there like this. Like, dude, how about going 24-2, and 48-4-49, where you can get, get him to relax and not have to hammer and, and armor lock everything you got. You hammer lock a certain horse, they won't run. Soft hands. But a lot of guys don't have soft hands. They always got to do something. They're always doing something on the horse. There's a the lot of horsemen between their legs. Yeah, right, right. But that, uh, my favorite one in the morning is watching guys trying to bring their whip out of their back pocket. That isn't one of the most comical ones. I had a guy one time for a 16th of a mile couldn't get his whip out of his back pocket. I'm looking at it going, if I was the trainer and I'm watching this, I would have cold cocked that kid with the whip when he got off the horse. How do you train a horse when a guy a 16th of a mile is trying to yank his, his whip out of his pocket? Keep it in your hand, pal. You want to be a jockey? You keep it in your hand the whole time. Ride with your hand and your whip. That's how you ride. But when you watch that and you watch it in the morning, and you're watching then in the afternoon and you're watching some of those riders, you just go, what the heck are you doing? And, and you've got to really recognize that because when you recognize, recognize that, you can see and say, oh, man, this guy needs a new, new, new jock. Somebody that's got good hands, you know, that, that is sensible. Brian Hernandez looks as good as on a horse as you can get. He makes mistakes, but I'll tell you one thing, though. He gets, he is smooth. And that's what you want to see smooth on a horse. 
And and I think that's another problem in New York. And I is is that that colony is plays too many games, too many games, and a lot of them I don't think can ride anyplace else. How's Relio Gutierrez doing? Where he where did he go? Do you know? Relu Gutierrez from New York. Where did he ship to? He's over in Sam Houston right now. How's he doing? Anybody watching? Terrible. Same the same mistakes he always made when he was over in New York. Same deal. None of us have been on a horse, okay? None of us have ridden competitively. I understand that. But we've also watched enough to know the good riders. The Gary Stevenses. The Jerry Baileys. Ray Lou is doing okay at Sam Houston. Yeah. He did hard. That's just turfway for a couple weeks and couldn't get a win. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I always look at it when, when a rider is coming off a layoff or he's coming off time off or he's going to a new circuit, there's always that trial time to get his timing down. The good ones, they get their timing down in a hurry. Irad is phenomenal. He moves over in, in, in a new circuit and he's right on the, on the beam. I may not be a fan of Irad in a lot of ways, but I think he is phenomenal rider and he's got a great sense. Jose is a little bit behind him, I think. Carmouche rides the speed in New York. Uh, yeah, he does. I, I will tell you, Raylu Gutierrez is second right now and wins at the current meet at Sam Houston with 17, trailing Stuart Elliott with 32. Stuart can ride. You know what I mean? Remember Stuart Elliott. He's a gifted ass. He's, he's, you know, he's he's a veteran. You know, he's a wily veteran. He knows the little things he can do to get a horse to run. Rayleigh will do well, you know, because he never had a chance in in, in New York. In New York, he was sitting all behind the Ortiz brothers. He was sitting behind all these other guys. You know, those guys don't give you a chance. In Sam Houston, it's like a horse that's been running in New York. Now he's going to get dropped down to Sam Houston. He's probably going to do well there because he's been facing better competition. But who was it you just said with, with Stewie? It's because he's with Steve Asmussen for so many mounts, right? right? Who said that? And, and I'll tell you, you ride for Steve Asmussen. You've got to ride the way he wants you to ride. You can't yeah. screw up for Steve. Steve is tough. He will fire you. Ray Lou is getting some Asmussen mounts at Sam Houston. Yeah, and, he, and, and, and once, he, once he, he gets indoctrinated into the program, you'll see him do fairly well. I remember when Asmussen was riding Julian Leperu first call at Churchill. You've never seen Julian Leperu ride better. He was on the lead. He put horses in races. He didn't strangle. When Bobby Franco used to get a hold of riders, he turned them into good turf riders. Corey Black used to tell me all the time. He goes, oh, I hate it when I had to go three, four wide and I had to come back and talk to Bobby after the race. You know, he hated that. He wanted you on the rail. Didn't, didn't matter. He wanted you on the inside. He did not want you go on the outside. He was, he basically taught Gary Stevens. You know, Gary, again, the Sarma was on board his horses. Bobby I mean, and Bailey, a two to one on a turf. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. I mean, Bobby was, <laughs> Bobby was demanding, but he knew what he wanted. He said, I don't care what you got to do. You got to be on the rail. And he was smart about that. He's right. You watch a Gulfstream and you watch how many bad riders send horses four or five wide on the turf. And then they wonder when they got nothing left. And Johnny Velasquez said something one time. He said, 
Gulfstream is the hardest place to ride on the grass because you got all these young guys, guys from Calder that are sending their horses at the five eighths pole. They're sending out wide. They're making premature moves that makes you make a premature move because you got to move or else you're going to get shuffled back. So a lot of the good riders have to not only deal with their mounts and deal with their trip, but they got to overcome these idiots that are basically shoving their horses five, six wide early. When I get my horse and he's four wide or five wide on the first turn on the turf, what do you do? You just throw your hands up. You go, I'm done. I'm done. What are you doing out there? And a lot of it comes from their inability to make a decision from the time the gates open to the time they hit the turn. I've seen a few guys break and then not know what to do on the outside. Where am I going to go? Am I going to go? I'm going to stay here. Or oh, they stay inside and they don't want to do anything. They want to just sit there. Push up inside and put yourself in the race. But no, they're afraid to do that. They're afraid they're going to get going to shuffle back. So they take back and all of a sudden they're down back to last. How many times you've had horses do that, Johnny? Guy's in a great position. He gets himself shuffled back. You know, you didn't see guys like Eddie De La Husse, Gary Stevens, Lafitte Pinkai. You didn't see those guys do that. Esormo in his heyday. You didn't see them doing that. They saw them doing it to other guys. My favorite story was when Kevin Krieger was a bug boy. He was at Santa Anita. Actually, he might have just gotten over the bug. And he had been riding okay. And he was riding in a race against Lafitte Penkai. And I remember I liked Kevin Krieger's horse, but I'm like, Lafitte Penkai, you know, he, he, he finds ways to win. So Lafitte is on the rail and he's on, on a horse with speed. And Steve Turlak can laugh and nod his head on this one. How many times we saw Lafitte do this? So Kevin Krieger is sitting right behind him. He angles out, gets a rider on the outside, and he's, hand, and he's got him. He's got him by half a length, you know, down the lane. And he's got him maybe for about three quarters of a length with about 10, 15 strides to go. And Kevin starts to get up in the saddle, and Lafitte comes inside and nails him at the wire. And, and, and Kevin Krieger went like this. He, I remember, I'll never forget that, sitting in the press box right at the wire. And I go, that kid just got out road. He just got schooled. My buddy, Rudy Del Judas, who trains my horses, was a jockey for a number of years in New York and Florida. He told me a story. He said, I was riding a speed horse that I knew didn't have the stamina to go if he got pressed. So I'm on the lead. I bet on my horse because I thought I'd get an easy lead. So he's, I'm on the inside and I'm on the lead. And this bug boy comes alongside of me with this long shot. He's got a lot of horse. And he goes, I looked over and I'm like, oh, man, he looks like he's got a horse. So Rudy looks over and says, I'm done here, but I'm just going to go to make it look good. I'm going to go. You stay right here. You'll win. <laughs> and the kid goes, okay. So Rudy moves on the turn, opens up three lanes, <laughs> and beats him and beats the kid by that much. <laughs> said Rudy said he was laughing all the way on the gallop out because the kid listened to him. You know, he goes, "I couldn't believe that the kid listened to me." So after the race, 
He's in the winner's circle and he sees the kid walking with the owner and the trainer and the trainer's yelling at him. Why did you let him go? Why did you let him go to the league? And the kid looks over at Rudy and says, well, he told me he had no horse. <laughs> and Rudy said, I felt bad because I got the kid in trouble. But the kid should have never listened to him. So sometimes the wily veterans who have that little bit of knowing how to throw that change of speed and knowing how to throw the curve at the right time can get the job done over these young guys who all they think they have to do is ride, push hard and hit them hard and drive to the wire and, and, and br use brute strength. And, and that's what a lot of part of it is coming with your eyes. Johnny, when you watch Sam Houston, you play Sam Houston, huh? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I played Remington a little bit. Too, yeah. So. yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the game, you know, the riders, you know, yeah. you know, like for example, Johnny would have an advantage over us playing Remington and Sam Houston because he knows the riders. He knows the guys you can play. Right. Right. Cabrera. Well, yeah. You know, and, and sometimes you get the, like the Krigger story, you get that young guy coming in and you're going, Oh, Cabrera is just going to eat this guy alive. You know, and they do. Johnny, quick read. Senor Buscador, Luis Quinones rides him in Louisiana after he gets the two wins on Lasix at Remington and now didn't look like the goods at all in the Risen Star. What's your read? Well, I, I read something on Twitter, somebody saying you just, you just can't win like that at that track. Like the way Senor Buscador runs, you just you're never gonna come from that far back. Um, I, I I don't I don't really know, um, but I that race just didn't set up for him at all, you know. And I think that race he won at Remington was just what? Who did he beat? Cowan. That's exactly. You're, Remington. You know, he's exactly yeah. right, Ron. He's exactly right. Yeah. I watched that race. I watched that race and watched this first race, and they all fell apart in front of him. And in the second race, Cowan is a five-and-a-half-foot-long sprinter now. He's not that good. He got a perfect trip, and he didn't kick on. They all crapped out down the stretch, and here he comes. and made him look better than what he is. Definitely. He, he's he a nice high buyer. I'm sorry? He had a high buyer, but – Yeah, it was, it was just BS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On our numbers, he didn't – our numbers, we adjust by the, the class of the track. He didn't because we adjusted him. Mm -hmm. And and Ron, the, and, and Johnny's absolutely right. He didn't beat anybody. Well, that's the thing I keep coming back to with Remington. I mean, you get, you get sucked into this whole thing, and I, I, I completely faded Senior Buscador on Saturday, largely because of the Remington factor. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what. You notice I didn't say he didn't beat nobody because nobody ran second to a lot of good horses. You know, <laughs> just saying. But, you know, my whole point is – is that I watched that race and visually I felt they fell apart. I think they came home in, in, in the two-turn race he won at Remington. They came home in around 50 and change, like 51. So that means he finished in 49 and four. No, nah, that doesn't cut it on a race like that. He ran his best race. He just wasn't good enough. Um, he needs everybody just to completely collapse in front of him. But, um, but thank you, Johnny. Thanks for the insight from, uh, from those circuits because we don't get to watch him as much. Who's your go-to rider that you like to play at, at uh, Remington Park? 
At Remington? Um, like I said, I mean, you know, you know, Astrosen's live with Stuart Elliott, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I got so many jockeys in my head. I got the colonies kind of mixed up. You know, I guess I'm Luzi, glad you said I guess, Lu, I guess Luzi, you know, he's always solid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, Cabrera rides at Remington, right? I'm, I'm not. He's at Arkansas at right now. Too. At, yeah, and then at Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, I'm confused. He's not at. Uh, he's not at. Sam Sam the one thing I'll tell you, the one thing I'll tell you, watch for across the country who rides for Steve Asmussen. Well, last year you could bet Deshaun Parker, Sam Houston. Now he's a turfway. He got all the Asmussen mounts. Yeah, he got a lot. I mean, he was like, what was he leading rider last year? Yeah, and 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 and, you know, for him to do that, he has to he has to perform, and he has to ride the way Steve wants him to ride. You know. Yeah, I think he's only at turfway because. His fam, be close to family in Cincinnati or something like that. Freezing his butt so, off. <laughs> I I expected him to be back at Sam Houston since he always does so well there, but um, there could be other things involved too. And he hasn't know? been amazing at Turfway, I don't think. I mean, he's been solid. He's getting the he got the ward mounts when Corrales was just suspended, or he had some days for like two weekends, so he got some ward mounts then, but. uh that's a great draw. that's a great leadway. Wesley Ward. Watch who Wesley Ward puts on his horses. When he uses the Velasquez and the Ired Ortizes and things like that, I don't put too much stock into it. But I love it when he uses the uh the Gerard, uh, Corrales, when he mm-hmm. puts Julio Garcia, when he puts the little jocks on there. Those guys can ride. Wesley Corrales, Corrales is going to be good. He's going to be really yeah, good. He is. He is. You've got to watch him because Wesley will put little known writers and get them. He brought in Rafael Hernandez one time. He brought him over from somewhere and he was writing winners for him. He loves to be able to get little jockeys that nobody knows on his horses because he gets prices and, you know, trainers betting who knew. As we're looking at these jockeys who come out of colonies that we don't know much about, and we're looking for these rising stars like Corrales, it reminds me, and, and it brings me to something Tad has just texted a little while ago about Foner Park. Foner Park will not do the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday thing anymore because that was to fill a void when we were in the middle of the beginnings of the pandemic. They're going back to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they start this week, weather permitting. They're going to get run over. But they, they live within their means, within their locale. I mean, they, okay. they're going to allow 75% capacity. They're going to fill the joint on Saturdays. They always do. They have forever. So how do we look at Foner Park? Do you even bother to look at Foner Park? No. Um, it was fun <laughs> while it lasted. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. I saw so many cripple horses run there. I was like... Uh, you know, I had one of my uh, one of my uh, my uh, handicappers, Amy Kearns. She goes, I love Fawner. I oh, no, she was Will Rogers down. She loved Will Rogers down. I had somebody else do Fawner. And it, I, I said and he looked at me, goes, how do we handicap this? I said, you look for the non crippled ones or you look for the crippled ones because the non crippled ones can't run. You know, uh, did you hear the John Lee's line about Will Rogers downs? And he's like one of the executives there. Yeah. His line was for open company, bet the three-year-olds because if they're four and five in this race, they can't be that good. Yeah, exactly. Ron, you know why I really enjoy these Zoom calls? 
Well, I can think of a hundred reasons. It makes me a better handicapper and it makes me pay even more attention. Well, likewise, for those of us who are involved, yeah. It's interesting how over the years, I always felt when I did in the 90s, when I did seminars in California, I had huge days just being able to go over the information, talk about it, and it sort of solidified in my mind, not only that I did the handicapping already, but it solidified in my mind what I wanted to do when I went and played the horses. And I think what it does is what for me is to be able to talk about showing things. I even pick up things that I didn't see before. We did that during the Breeders' Cup when we came up with uh, the winner of the Philly and Mare Turf. Tarnaway. I made, uh, yeah, we, I made you stop and go back. And, and, and take a look again. So it's really helpful, not only for everybody that comes to our to our Zoom calls, which are free, um, you know, but also um, it does a lot of work for me, too, because it allows me to pay more attention. Now, you do Zoom calls every Tuesday, 8 o'clock Eastern time, generally the time we start. And you have now inaugurated for a while the Friday Zoom calls, so you get a hardcore X's and O's preview of the featured races on Saturday, but I understand you have something else up your sleeve. I do. Um, and it's, um, it's something that we're going to get to everybody in their mailbox, email box, and get to see it in the next few days. You and I have talked about it today. It's in its infant stages, but it's going to be a situation where people can sign up for all our, our, our racing, uh, Fridays, zoom calls. I think I've got scheduled Starting with the Southwest and the Fountain of Youth, I think I've got scheduled 25 Zoom calls that are that revolve around um, uh, major events. And we're going to have a, a Wednesday one, which is for members only. And we're going to be going, especially when they get into the two-year-olds, we will be coming all the two-year-old races for that, for that week that, for that week we just uh, witnessed. And uh, we're going to be able to go through and get info into the hands of the horse players, first-hand info that they've actually they've been able to look at themselves and they can get it right from the horse's mouth. And we're going to come up, especially with the two-year-old season, we're going to do very well. Not even discussing right now about all the benefits from talking about the three-year-olds that we're doing going into the Triple Crown. And so it's not this week, but next week there's going to be an added Zoom call so it's not just yes. Tuesday and Friday. It will be Wednesday. And if you're looking yes. for a podcast coming out of it, not going to happen. The podcast comes off the Tuesday call. So if you miss the Wednesday call, you'll miss the Wednesday call. There won't be a second chance. So there yeah, will we're be... We're going to make it a members only. Yeah. We're going to make it a members only, and we'll get information out on everybody how to join the members only uh, group of uh, Zoomers. That's what we're going to call ourselves, the Zoomers. What was Groucho Marx's old line that he would never want to join a club that would have him as a member? Something like that. Was that the line? Uh, I don't know. I so you can't. I'm just wondering if you're going to kick me out of the club. Wasn't he the, wasn't he the mute one? No, that no that no that was Harpo. Oh okay. No, Groucho was the clever one. Say the Sega White. Well, he's the only one who could talk. No, Chico talked. Zeppo talked. Chico was sort of the, the wise guy, Mark's brother. I got to get you to watch Day at the Races, which was shot at Santa Anita. Yeah. Well, guess what, Mr. Ron Fletcher, R.A.P. Falter, Falter. Fletcher, Flatter. Yeah. I'm done. I'm out. Hey!
Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.